Well, I could spend about an hour talking about what an honor it is to even preach this morning. So I'm not going to do that, but I do want to say thank you to you all for your confidence in me. Uh, thank you to the church board for their confidence in me. And um, I'm excited for what's ahead. I hope you are. Um, and as we journey together, our ultimate goal is that we really do see connection with God and connection with our neighbor happening. And, uh, and if that can happen, then we're doing what God has called us to do. Well, today we, we dive into a new series. We're going to, the next six weeks, we're going to work through the book of Ephesians together. Um, and so I need to give you a fair warning. And, and there's six chapters in, six, in Ephesians, and we're going to talk about it for six weeks. But if I were to stand up here every week and try to preach each chapter, as I told Karen this morning, my goal is to not preach an hour today. And if I tried to do each whole chapter, we would be here a very, very long time. So, the ball is going to be in your court to finish out the study. So, uh, this morning we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1. All, we're going to end up going through 14. And then the second part of that, of that chapter is, is going to be part of your small group. And uh, so I highly encourage you to get connected with the small group. Uh, there will be one meeting at my house. Uh, Brittany and I will host on Monday evenings. Joe and Emily are hosting one uh, on Thursday evenings. Um, and Peg is hosting one here at the church on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. People that, that the daytime might be better. Um, so, and if, if none of those work for you, but you say, Ryan, I, I want to go through this with my family or my spouse or something, I can get you the questions and the material, and so please just let me know, and I'll gladly pass that on to you. But all that to say, if you want to hear about 60% of Ephesians, just come to church and listen. But if you want to really get into the whole book, dive into this with us, into this series, and I think it can be very meaningful. So to start talking about a book of the Bible, we need a little bit of context. We can't really just dive in, but Ephesians is unique in that if we did, it would really still be meaningful. But we need to get a little bit of background. While we refer to Ephesians as a book of the Bible, we, we need to note that Ephesians is really a letter, right? It's a letter that Paul wrote from jail to the church in Ephesus. So from there, we need to even take another step back and think about, well, who is Paul? So if you remember with me Paul's story, Paul grew up knowing Torah or the law, the Old Testament, and he felt that really following it to a T was really all that mattered. And so when this Jesus guy comes along, Paul thinks he is just wrecking everything. He just can't figure out what this Jesus guy is doing, and it seems like he's just ruining it all. So essentially, Paul becomes this anti-Jesus protester. He's all about stopping the spread of the gospel. And he'll go to any length to see it happen. But Paul was one of the farthest things you could be from considered holy or blameless. He'd given up any hope that there would actually be a Messiah, and it definitely couldn't have been this guy from Nazareth. That is until one day, Paul was walking on the road to Damascus. There we go. So, and if you remember, at that point, what was his name wasn't even Paul. What was his name? His name was Saul. Good. So... Saul is walking on the road to Damascus, and he has an encounter with Jesus. In what way? What does Saul see? A light. So Saul sees this brightening light, this blinding light, and he can't see anymore. 
But he hears the voice of Jesus, and he tells him to go meet a, na- meet a man named Ananias. Dwight's got all the details. So he goes, his, his guys have to kind of guide him to Ananias, right? You're blind, you need help. So he guides him to Ananias. Ananias prays for his healing in the name of Jesus, and he's healed. And, and at that, Saul doesn't really understand what's happened But his story is he was blind, and now he sees. And it was something to do with this guy from Nazareth. It changed his story so much that his name was then changed to Paul. So that's that's the writer of our letter that we're going to be studying. Remember that story as we get there. Paul then becomes a missionary, and he can't stop talking about Jesus. I mean, would you blame him? So much so that he finds himself in prison for talking about Jesus so much. So from prison, Paul has time to really think about what has gone on. He's so overwhelmed that he has to continue to share with the churches that he's visited and come to love. And out of this is birthed this letter to the Ephesians. So we're going to read together from Ephesians chapter 1. I invite you to stand this morning as we read Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 10. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have the redemption, have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. So here's his will. To be put into effect that the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. You may be seated this morning. As this is the word of the Lord for us today, and we respond saying, thanks be to God. We're going to keep reading more in a second, but that's, that's, that's a lot of words. Paul uses a lot of words. It kind of sounds repetitive, so we're going to look at that first section there. And I hope you hear what Paul is saying. In this very first passage of the letter, Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus of their story that they now belong to. They're not still enslaved. They're not orphans with no home, but they are a blessed people who have experienced the love of God. Remember, when when Paul was alive, Christ was alive. We're only about 30 years from the death and resurrection of Jesus at this point when he's writing this letter. And here we are, over 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about and chewing on what is Jesus? What does it mean that Jesus came, and, and how does that affect us? These people had only had 30 years to begin to stir on it, to discern and pray and begin to seek the direction of the Holy Spirit as to how this man named Jesus would 
change every single aspect of their lives. Paul is telling us and the people of Ephesus today, hey, you don't have to figure it all out. Just remember that you no longer live in that old story. For Paul, that old story was one of meaningless law following, as Saul. So Paul says that we have been chosen by God to participate in holiness. We are recipients of grace. We have been adopted, forgiven, and the will of God has been given to us. This is good news. Church, today, if you're overwhelmed and confused, I think that the Apostle Paul wants you to know that you are chosen, you are a recipient of grace, you've been adopted, and you have been forgiven. Thanks be to God. I needed to hear that this morning. You are chosen, you're a recipient of grace, you've been adopted, and you've been forgiven. So again, we're ten verses in, and we have so much. I, I could, we could talk for weeks about just those four things, but we're going to keep moving. I want to look at that last phrase that Paul mentioned in that portion of Scripture. Paul says that God made God's will known to us, which is, this is the answer to the question today, God's will is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Unity. Man, can't we agree that we could use more unity in the world today? This last year has been had an overwhelming, unbelievable amount of division. Division over political parties. Division over the economy. Division over the environment. Division over whether I should get a vaccine or not. Division over what I should do when the national anthem is played. We could be here all day listing major arguments that have crept into society and that have taken place in this last year. Church, this text is telling us that division is the exact opposite of the will of God. We want to put up walls, and Jesus wants to tear them down. And we've got to begin to see what that looks like. In the early 1900s, it was very common that you would get home, you'd sit on your front porch, you might chat with your neighbor. When you got home, you had to walk up the driveway, and so your neighbor was on their front porch because they were already home. So you always stirred up conversation. You knew each other. You were aware of needs and things. But do you know when that began to change? And in the 1940s, architects had this great idea. And it is, it's a great idea. So they took houses, how they had been building them, but they started building these boxes on the side. The, these boxes that had big roll-up doors. And, and nowadays, we have fancy technology where we hit a button or we have an app on our phone that opens it for us, right? So essentially now, you're in your car. You know, when you get close enough, we all know how long it takes our own garage door to go up. So you click it at just the right time. As you get into the driveway, the door goes up. You pull in. And before you get out of your car, you press the button again so that it can start going back down. Well, you see, architects in the 40s, they were just solving an issue of getting our cars out of the weather, right? That, that was the intention. But what began to slowly creep into society was, oh, my neighbor's on the front porch, and I really don't like my neighbor. 
So I'm going to press the button when I get three houses down at the mailbox because I know that's the length. It's going to start going up. I'm going to pull in. We're going to push the button. It's going to go down. And I am inside. Don't have to speak to anyone. It's great. Which is not a bad thing. But you know what happens when that becomes your habit? Your neighbor that you didn't like, they move. And you get a new neighbor. And you just keep doing your habit. And so essentially, you have now division between your new neighbor simply because of what these architects started doing in houses. Now, I don't want you to hear me today saying it's unchristian to have a garage. Because just this last two weeks, Brittany has been thinking, could we add a garage on the house? You know, how much would it cost? Would, could we do this? It would be so nice and... And again, that's not the intention. Architects did not sit down in the 40s and think, how could we begin to divide one each other from our neighbor? But what they did is they solved a problem, but that problem led to another problem. And so nowadays, we live in a society where we hardly know our neighbors. And some of you know your neighbors, and thank you, that's important. But I hope we see this was something that they thought was a good idea, and it is a good idea. But there was no way to combat the outcome that they didn't want. And that's not the architect's fault. But I'm saying that something that can serve such a wonderful purpose can accidentally cause division. So for us to avoid this in our lives, we need to be mindful that with every decision we make, different responses could cause greater division when that was never even our intention. So how do we fight against division? How, how is this possible? Paul seems to be convinced that, that when we're living in the Holy Spirit, we begin to see division. Not only do we see it and call it out, but we are called into it to help unity be brought about. We are to be people who are bringing others together through the unity of the Spirit. And how do we strive for this in the church? Seems like a Sunday school answer, but we seek direction from the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is telling us. We are in this new story where the Spirit is guiding us. So when we want to accomplish the will of God, which is unity, we must be united with the Spirit. We make decisions that unite us instead of divide us. We are one. We are one body, one church, and one humanity in Christ. And when we say that we're united in Christ, I want us to really think about what this means. You remember in the Old Testament, you remember the Tower of Babel? These people, they came together and they thought, oh, let's build a tower and we can try to reach God, right? We can try to get as close as we can. Well, their efforts failed, shocker, and they were scattered throughout the world, speaking in different languages. So what does this have to do with unity in Christ? Well, this allows us to no longer use language, culture, race, or heritage as a means for division. But rather to allow our union in Christ to break down those barriers that those can so easily create. When Paul wrote this, there were already tons of languages. He knew it was possible. What seemed like chaos can now come together to form something much more beautiful than it would have ever have been in the first place. Much more beautiful. The will of God is unity in all things under Christ. 
So let's continue reading in verses uh, 11 through 14. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul wants us to be reminded that we have freedom in Christ. We've been given a gift in the Holy Spirit. And I know as Christians today, this can seem like a simple sermon. Well, of course we know that Jesus accepted us. Of course Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. But how do we forget so quickly the blessing of a relationship with the Almighty God? Do you remember being a child and wanting something so bad? It just consumes all that you are. And for some of us, even as adults, that continues. When we want something so bad, that's all we can think about. We just want it so bad. Well, when I was a kid, there was a new game system that came out called the Nintendo Wii. I'm sure you all remember when this happened. The Nintendo Wii was cutting-edge technology, right? No longer were you just clicking buttons, but now you had to move. And, like, it knew that you were moving. And that was crazy. And it was super cool. Well, I went to my cousin Josh's house over the summer, and I got to play a Nintendo Wii. He had one. Because his dad always had the newest technology, whatever it was, and... And it was so cool. I thought life had changed forever. I really did. Life was different now. And so I come home. Josh lived about two hours away. So I come home and all I can think about is the Nintendo Wii. As a kid, that's, it's just stirring in you, right? You go, to, you go to bed thinking about it. You wake up thinking about it. You're like, oh, if I made a lemonade stand, how much, rada, rada. I talked about it to my friends, my family, my teachers. I talked about it so much that finally my birthday came around. And my grandmother, uh, who was living in Tampa, Florida at the time, told my parents, she said, I'm going to send Ryan the rest of the money he needs so that he can go get a Nintendo Wii. It was coming, guys. So if, if you can imagine with me, we're children sitting in class, right? It's a Friday afternoon. I knew that that was the day. I didn't listen to my teacher at all. I just kept drawing the controllers. I was playing in, you know, in my head the whole day. And, and finally the bell rang. My dad came and picked me up. And it was time. So I went. We went to the store, exchanged my money, got my Nintendo Wii. I had already watched videos online about how to set it up, like, all the time, even though it was a simple process. So I ripped the box open. I plug it up in three minutes flat. It's loaded. It's ready. Here we go. And if you remember, the Wii only came with Wii Sports. So you could golf, bowl, tennis, and boxing. Boxing, yeah. And so, so I plug it in, and here I am. I'm going at it. It's Friday, so I stay up late. And I played as late as my parents would let me. And then Saturday morning, wake up, play it again. Play all day Saturday, because that's what you do as a kid, right? 
because I wasn't big enough to drive the lawnmower yet. So I was still in the, I could play the Wii all day. So play the Wii all day, then wake up Sunday, and I really want to play, but, you know, church, right? So we go to church, and then I got to play a little bit Sunday afternoon, but church, right? We had to go back to church, and and then Monday, school came around, and so I couldn't play Monday morning, and Monday evening, I had to play just a little bit, and then Tuesday, it was school, then I had soccer, and so I had to go from school to soccer, and then Wednesday rolled around, I had to go from school to church, then Thursday rolled around, I had soccer again, and then Friday rolled around, and I played for a few minutes, then we took off to go see family for the weekend. Then I came home, we went to church Sunday, by that following Monday, I was kind of bored, you know? I thought my life had changed, but I was bored, you know? As kids, it doesn't take long. But I was bored. I would have, I got to the point where I'd rather go to Trey and Jordan's house. I'd rather go jump on the trampoline, right? This is kind of boring. This isn't cool anymore. I'm used to this. You see, church, I'm, I'm afraid we're bored. Paul's telling us this morning that we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it changes your life. It doesn't change your life for a weekend. It doesn't change your life on Sundays. It doesn't change your life for a week and a half. It doesn't get old. It continually is being made new in you. But so often, I think, come Tuesday of the week, we forget about our gift because we get busy and there's not time to sit down and play the Wii anymore. How do we fight division? We remember the gift that we've been given in the Holy Spirit. The gift that on Tuesday morning is calling us to the places of division in our community and calling us into unity. You know, it's a funny example, but that's us, right? We're so excited and we think our life has changed when we get the new car. We finally move to that other house. We finally get the boat fixed and it's ready to go. That's great. But it gets old. We need something new. You see, the Spirit is calling us into unity with others. And Paul is telling us that this Spirit is available to everyone. It's not ours to keep, but ours to share. We get so spoiled in experiencing the Holy Spirit oftentimes that we get selfish. We want to keep it to ourselves. We just want to keep having these Sunday morning experiences of, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley for all my days. Yes, I will. Me. But I don't really want to tell them about it. I don't want to share. Because what if we started sharing the Holy Spirit? What if we really started doing that? wonder if we would get a little less of the Holy Spirit, right? Is that how it works? Thanks be to God, that's not how it works. There's enough spirit to go around for you and for me and for our neighbors. And Paul is telling us that this spirit is big enough for each of us, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, African or Hispanic, Roman or Greek, vaccinated or not vaccinated, the spirit is here. Wow, you're not excited enough. 
The Spirit is for all. And that's what Paul wants us to hear today. We can't keep it to ourselves. It's not ours to keep. And it's this very Spirit that will unite all humanity before the throne of God and gather us around the throne singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty for all of eternity when we join in with the saints around the throne. But we're only going to do it through the Spirit. Paul wants us to remember that we can't stop thanking and praising God for this gift. Paul was on a quick path to death with no sense of hope. Then Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and radically changed his life forever. You too were on your way down a terrible path, a path that led to destruction and no hope. Then Jesus met you where you were and radically changed your life. Now you have hope. You have hope, not just on Sundays, not just on the exciting days, but in the midst of the chaos. You have hope. And the spirit that freed you from bondage is the same spirit that guides you now and is calling you into worship. Paul wants us to live lives of worship that never stop thanking God for this life-changing gift. You see, I probably thanked my grandmother twice for that we. Paul's saying, never stop thanking God for the Spirit. Never. On Mondays, on Tuesdays, on Thursdays, on Friday nights. Never stop. You see, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, there'd be no reason that we'd be gathered here today. If it weren't for the work of Jesus in our lives, we'd have other things to give our Sundays to, right? I mean, we're in lake country. We could be in some beautiful places right now. But today, may we remind, be reminded that as followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. That we get to share with others and invite them into this wonderful family called the family of God. This spirit is not like the next game that will excite us for a moment and leave us bored in a week. The Holy Spirit will continue to feed your soul and guide us into being the united body of Christ. You are adopted, you are forgiven, and you have been given the Holy Spirit. You are no longer a slave in that old story. That story of slavery that bound you for so long. That story of being an orphan. That story is not your story. And that's not our story today as a church. Our story is one of adoption and of inheritance. Inheritance of the Holy Spirit. One of repentance and one of grace. One of new creation now and forevermore. And don't forget what story you belong to. One of the ways that we do not allow ourselves to forget our story is through partaking in communion together. So today, if you forgot, if, if you didn't grab the elements as you came in, uh, Joe, would you grab that one? And Jeff, could you grab these? If you would just slip your hand up, if you didn't receive communion elements and you would like to, um, we'll get those passed out to you. But I would like you to know that in the Church of the Nazarene, we practice open communion. This means that you don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to call yourself a Nazarene. You simply have to, with us today, say, I'm not a part of that old story. This is my story. You just have to confess that Jesus is Lord, whether it be for the first time today or for the thousandth time in your life. You are welcome to join us today around this table. This table 
is that of the unity of unity in Christ. So, for those of you that might not have used these before, there's a little plastic film on the top that can be kind of tricky, but that's how you get the wafer. Then you pull the whole tab off to get to the juice. One of my favorite movies growing up as a kid was Toy Story. Right? Such a great movie. One of the best characters in Toy Story is Mr. Potato Head. Right? He's hilarious. But what happens during the movies? If, if you haven't seen them... He's basically a potato. He can pull his ear off. He can pull his eyes off. He can put them in different spots. And throughout the movies, Mr. Potato Head always gets discombobulated. His parts are all over the place. He can find things with his eye over there. But by the end of the movie, what happens is Mr. Potato Head gets remembered. The scattered parts of his body are brought back together, and he's whole. When Jesus gave us the command of this do in remembrance of me, that word remember is the same word of what's happening to Mr. Potato Head. We as the body of Christ around this table in unity, we are remembered as one body in one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So it's a silly analogy today but may this table be for us the end of the movie that brings us together and reminds us that we are one body under our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask this morning that you would bless these elements, that they would be for us the very body and blood of Christ so that we may be the broken body and the shed blood that will provide unity to this world that so desperately needs it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus had a meal with his disciples and they gathered around the table and he took the loaf of bread and he held it up and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, take and eat in remembrance of me. After they had finished the meal, Jesus took the cup and he held it up and he blessed it. And he said, this is my blood which was shed for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. Lord, we pray today for unity in the spirit. That that spirit would never grow old that we would never get tired of living in the Spirit, but that you would continue to make us new each and every day. And as we do, Lord, may we be your broken body and your shed blood that has been remembered together today around your table. And Lord, as we go today, we ask that the God of all grace and peace would continue the work that he has begun in us 
until the day of completion. And it's in that precious and holy name we pray. Amen.